Thank you for joining the Together Church Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Our prayer is is that today's message will inspire you and help you move closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy today's message. Did you know that biologically, biologically, we're wired to empathize with other people? Do you know that? If you're a science person, you like to study weird things like that, you would know that biologically, our minds are wired for us to be able to have empathy for other people. There's this insular anterior cortex in our brain that processes to help us to be able to have this understanding to be able to empathize with other people. It gives us the ability to see the world through other people's perspectives and for us to be able to feel the things that they feel. And we're able to become one with somebody else. We're able to become one with somebody else's distress and feel the things that they're feeling because of this part of our brain that God has so wonderfully placed there for us. Empathy should not be confused with sympathy. We're all really good at sympathy, but empathy is the thing that we need to work on. Here, here's the difference. Sympathy is when we're, we're feeling for someone, whereas empathy is feeling with someone. There's a difference. There's a for and a with, right? It's a big difference. Empathy requires that one understand from experience with another person. I understand what you're going through. I've been there. I want to help. I want to walk this out with you because I've been there. I hurt not just for you. That's the sympathy, but I'm hurting with you. I understand. I understand what you're going through. Now, these two words, it's just one difference of preposition, sympathy, empathy. It's just one little difference in the preposition, and it almost seems if, this, if these two words could be used interchangeable, but they can't be because the difference between having a sympathetic Savior, a sympathetic Savior would be one who feels for us versus having an empathetic Savior is one who feels with us. That was the good news about the, the story of Jesus coming. It says that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us, not just God for us. And there's a big difference between understanding having a sympathetic Savior and having an empathetic Savior. The Bible actually tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. What is, what is Paul saying? What he's saying is, it's easy for us to rejoice with people because when we rejoice with people, people are rejoicing because something good has happened in their life. They're happy about something. They're celebrating something. It's really easy for us to come alongside someone and celebrate their victory, celebrate the good things that are happening in their life. But then when he says weep with those who weep, we weep when we experience pain. Yeah, I know that there's a time that we cry when good things happen. But there's also a time that we cry when we experience pain, we experience hurt, we experience anguish of any time. And when people weep, we oftentimes find that it would be easier for us just to not get involved with that and just be sympathetic towards it instead of being empathetic towards it. It'd be a lot easier to say, I'm praying for you, but I don't want to walk this out with you. So I'm just going to do what I've got to do, 
and I'm going to do whatever I can to just love you from a distance. And when it comes to having empathy with people, we have this inclination sometimes just to shy away from being a part of what's taking place. Because people that are hurting can create a very messy environment. Would you agree with me? Like we have all been hurting and we can sometimes create very messy environments because we're not thinking straight. We're all over the place in our thinking. We're hurting. We're, we're seeing the world through our perspective of pain. And so we do things that are oftentimes detrimental to what's going on within us. And we don't want to get involved with people like that sometimes. Like, just handle yourself. We're over here. When you get better, we're going to take care of you. And there's this perception is that when we get involved with people who are hurting and we have to be empathetic, there's a part of us that's going to get our hands dirty. We're going to be in the middle of the mess of what's going on in their lives. That's what we have been called to. But oftentimes, instead of getting involved and getting our hands dirty, we'll, we'll say things like, we'll pray for you. I'm going to pray for you at a safe distance. And then they walk away, and then you walk away, and then like three weeks later, their name pops up in your mind, or you see them, and you're like, oh, I forgot to pray. God, please help them. So when they come and ask, I can tell them that I prayed for them. And we want to do that at a distance. Why at a distance? Because we don't get our hands messy. We don't have to get involved with it. We, don't, we, we like, I don't want any drama. Right? What's the old saying? Save the drama for your... No, I hadn't heard that one. Save your drama for your mama. It rhymes. There you go. So when we, when we get our hands dirty, we have empathy with people. Shying away from it, not having anything to do with anybody, is not what Jesus has called us to do. And I will like to put a disclaimer. This doesn't mean that every issue that happens is your issue to be dealing with somebody. We, we have empathy for people, but how much empathy we're putting on is the direction of the Holy Spirit to lead us, okay? Because what will happen is if you just decide that everybody is your project and your problem, by, by the way, people aren't projects, but when you start dealing with everybody's problems and you haven't clearly heard from the Holy Spirit, it, it puts a damper and, and can and hurt some things. So over the past few weeks, we have studied these emotions of God. We've talked about His righteous anger. We've talked about His compassion. We've talked about His grace last week. But this one, this last week, I want to look at the word empathy. Because out of all Scripture, what we find over and over again is how Jesus consistently models empathy for us as people. And he models it for us to follow. He modeled this angry, uh, righteous anger for us to follow. He modeled this compassion which moves us into action for us to follow. He modeled this grace for us to model. But also to experience, also to allow it to be a part of who we are, and it's no different here with empathy. So I want us to look at John chapter 11. This is a fascinating story. It's a really good story, and you probably have heard it if you've come through church at some point. You've heard the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. He's very sick in, this, in John chapter 11. As a matter of fact, he's so sick that there's a fear that he's going to die, and they're worried about He's gonna, we're going to lose our brother, so these two ladies, his sisters, Mary and Martha, they sense that something's wrong. 
And they knew that if they didn't get Jesus involved, the outcome was not going to be very good. So Mary and Martha in the story send a message to Jesus. And here's what they say. When they, they find Jesus, they said, listen, this is not going well. Your friend Lazarus is sick. In other words, your, your buddy, your friend is sick. We need you to come and take care of that. So will you help? Jesus. And here's what Jesus' response was when he, when he heard the message. He says, listen, I know Lazarus is sick, but here's my promise is that this, this sickness will not take his life. What a relief. What a relief they had when they said that this sickness will not take his life. They're like, oh, good. All right, now we can go back. Things are going to be fine. It's just a fever. It's going to go down. We're going to be good. And so they leave. Jesus stays where he is. He doesn't leave and go back to the town of Bethany with them. The Gospels record that Jesus felt comfortable in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He would oftentimes, on his way to Jerusalem, the Passover, would stop in this small town of Bethany, which was just minutes outside of the city of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, many scholars refer to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home as Jesus' home away from home. He was very comfortable with them. Had a really good friendship with them. They had personal inside jokes. They had stories. They, they knew each other, the ins and outs. They, they had a relationship. So they knew Jesus on this personal level, but obviously Jesus also knew them on a very real and personal level. What we know from the Scripture is they trusted that he was the Son of God because their, their brother is dying. And they send for Jesus. And you wouldn't do that to somebody that you didn't think could help. And so it's not a last-ditch effort for them. They trusted that he was the Son of God. These group, this Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Jesus, were more than just acquaintances. They were best friends. So when they sent for him, it wasn't a second choice. It was their only choice. It was their choice that they knew if we don't get him involved, our brother's dead, done deal. And so they go to Jesus for the solution, and the Bible says that Jesus didn't come, so his friend is sick. Jesus doesn't come. He stays put where he is. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he stayed two more days where he was. All right? Well, Mary and Martha aren't concerned at this point because Jesus said that the sickness wasn't going to kill them, that he was going to be fine. So Jesus hangs out two days, they come back. Now let's look at the store and see what happens. John 11, starting in verse 17, it says, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Y'all catch that? But I thought Jesus said that he wasn't going to die from the sickness. So why is this passage telling us that when he arrives in Bethany, that they came and said, hey, Lazarus, he's already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. Jesus' friend is sick, and yet he stays put where he is for two more days. And in the meantime, his friend Lazarus dies you know, sometimes waiting on God 
things die. There are things that you've been praying and been waiting for, and it seems like those things that God has put in your heart have died. There's a delay in what you've been praying for. God hasn't answered yet. Why didn't Jesus come when he was given this message? Why did he choose to stay? Can you imagine what Mary and Martha are thinking right now about this best friend that they feel like was not very truthful with them? What, he just wanted to stay on vacation? He couldn't leave his vacation to come back? Like, what's going on? And I believe, I believe that Jesus was waiting because he had already revealed his healing power to them. They knew that he could heal people. It wasn't the first time. What they were looking for, and I think what Jesus was trying to to do was raise a man who had been dead. It was something that was impossible. It was something that was impossible. It was time, I believe, for Jesus to show that he was trying to unveil this resurrection power. You cannot resurrect things that aren't dead. Because remember, everything that he's doing is for a purpose. It's to point people back to his father. It's also the clock ticking down for Jesus to come to the cross. And that's a whole other message in this passage. But when we pick up in verse 20, look what it says. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she met him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I can tell you this. If I were Jesus... And I saw Martha coming down the road. I probably would have walked the other way and gone back to where I came from. Because I can imagine this Israeli was not a happy Israeli. She's probably taking the earrings off. She's rolling up her sleeves like she's ready to go to town because you lied to me, bro. You told me that this wasn't going to happen. Y'all been around the women that get really ticked? I mean, Martha's coming down the road. All Jesus can see is the dust coming off her feet. Mary, however, I just ain't going to talk to him. I'm just going to stay right where I'm at. And she stays, where she, she stays put. And so now Martha has this conversation with Jesus. And she tells him, had you been here, did we not tell you that this was going to happen? And then you gave us this promise, and we believed in this promise, and now he's dead? And he just didn't die. He's been in the grave for four days. Where were you at? Why did you delay Jesus? So you can imagine what's going through Martha's head. She's saying, you took too long to get here. You took too long. Why didn't you do this when you could have done something about it? Because see, in Martha's mind, this was over. He's dead. There's nothing you can do now. Nothing you can do. And so maybe there's some of you that can relate. Like, you feel dead in your delay. Like, you feel like you've been asking God, and God's delaying, and you feel dead. And you don't know what to do. You've been praying for people, for family, for sickness, or just for God to move through our county. Whatever it is you're praying for, maybe you just feel in this delay. You're waiting on some answered prayer or some result. This is what Martha and Mary are doing. They had prayed they had asked Jesus they went to Jesus to get the help and they're asking where were you four days ago they're frustrated Jesus is used to getting the good treatment and getting good hospitality when he comes to Martha 
But here it's not, it's not such a good exchange. And so this stress that she's feeling, it's oftentimes that under crisis and stress that you begin to roll a stone in front of the problems and get passive-aggressive. See, they put a stone in front of that grave. They put their hopes, their dreams, their brother in a tomb, and they rolled a stone in front of it. See, oftentimes when we don't feel like God's doing what we think he needs to do, we give up and we put things behind the stone because we think they're dead. But Jesus is going to enlighten her here in just a minute. So she's rolled this stone in front of it. All hopes are gone. But right in the middle of this sentence, I don't know if you've caught it, Martha has a revelation in the middle of this conversation with Jesus. In the midst of her pain and confusion, look what she said in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But watch these words. But even now, even now, even in this moment of grief, even in this moment of pain, even now I know that God will give whatever you ask. She had this revelation. She was saying, yeah, I know the situation's really bad. I know that he's behind a tomb. I know there's a stone there. I know the body is probably decaying. It probably smells. It's the worst situation that we can be in. But even now, we know that God can move. Can I tell you something, church? Even in the midst of whatever this is that we're in right now, God can move and God has moved in the middle of this. You can't see it when you're blinded by fear. But when you see Jesus for who he is, you see him at work. The mission field that we are standing on today has the greatest that it's ever been for anybody. The question is, will the workers take the, the lead and begin ministering to the people that are around us? Creating unity and creating peace. She says, even now, I will just say that in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of this fear, even now, God can move. God can move. God can move. That was not at all scripted, but it was amazing. So even now, even now, all the odds were against them. All the odds are against them. Look what he says. I believe that even now you can raise him from the dead. Had they ever seen anybody risen from the dead? This hasn't happened yet. They've never seen anyone risen from the dead. But she has this belief that Jesus can even do the impossible in the moment. Look at verse 23. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. What she was thinking in her mind was Jesus, yeah, I know he'll be resurrected because it says on the last day they'll all be joined together. But he was saying, no, no, I'm not talking about in the last days, girl. I am talking about right now in these moments. He can rise again. And Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The resurrection was not an event. It was a person. He says, anyone who believes in me is going to live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me, who believes in me, will never die. And Jesus is saying, do you believe this, Martha? Because you've got to believe it. If, if, if you want to see what's going to happen, you've got to believe this. You've got to know this. You've got to have confidence in this. In the midst, if it's even so, you've got to understand. 
that I am the resurrection and the life. And she said, most powerful words in all of this passage, yes, Lord, I believe it. It's a statement of faith. She says, I've always believed that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And then she returned to Mary because this has now resonated with her. Because any time that we have something that happens in the presence of God, we can't help but have an overflow of that, that we've got to talk to somebody about what just happened. She just had an encounter with Jesus. She's got to get it out. She's got some hope. So she goes right back to Mary, who's sitting, pouting, upset, hurting, and says, listen, you got to know. you got to know. So she returns to Mary, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, hey, the teacher is here, and he wants to see you. Jesus had made an appointment to see Mary. So Mary immediately went to him, and Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha had met him. Jesus hadn't gone into Bethany yet. He's, I think he's still a little like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to a place. I want them to come to me because I don't want them to get lost in all the voices and the naysayers that are around them. I've got to get them to a place where I can speak privately to them. So Mary immediately goes to him. Jesus has stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her. And when Mary had arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus was going... All right, this is just a practice script. Everybody's just repeating the same thing. Your sister just told me the same thing. If you had been here, if you had been here, I mean, think about what Mary's going through. I mean, now she went from hurting and her sister saying that Jesus wants to talk to you. And I can imagine she was probably like, I don't want to talk to him. Y'all been on that, that end of the boat? Like, hey, can we talk? Pfft, no. Not right now. But Martha said, listen, he, he came to see us. He came to be with us. He came to bring this comfort. He's, he's bringing empathy. And it says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, he wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw other people weeping and wailing for her, a deep anger welled up within him. Wait a second, Jesus is getting mad because they're crying? No, Jesus isn't mad that they're upset. What his righteous anger here appears again, as we saw in the temple, what angers him is the lack of faith that are among the people that have been with him. That in the middle of this, they're not, they don't have the faith. They're not believing that Jesus can come in and do something that's going to change the course of this guy's life. And so Jesus asked the question, and which is kind of a dumb question, but Jesus had a very good reason for asking this question, but we would think it was dumb. It's like, where have you put him? Uh, well, he's dead, so he's in a tomb. It's where we put dead people, Jesus. I don't know how you guys do it up in Nazareth, but this is how we do it here. He says, where have you put him? And they told him, well, come and see. You ready for this verse? Good memory verse, Luke 11.35. Uh, John 11.35. Luke 11.35, it says, Then Jesus wept. He wept. God weeps too. God weeps too. Jesus wept means that Jesus cared. 
in this moment, this is the human side of him, that he's hurting with the people. It's not sympathetic. It's not that I feel so bad for you. It's I'm, I'm hurting with you. I'm with you. He's moved with compassion. If you'll read the Gospels, you'll see that phrase used, that Jesus is moved with compassion. And so Jesus deeply cares about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And although he already knows that this happened in order for God to be glorified, in just a few minutes, Lazarus is going to return to them. But even in this moment, Jesus felt the pain. He was very empathetic to their loss. When you generally care about someone, when you know someone that hurts, you hurt. And God's empathy is a character trait that comes with his willingness to suffer alongside of his creation. Think about how personal of a God he is. He doesn't just hurt for us, he hurts with us. Alongside of his creation. He's not a distant God. He is a personal, relational God. Even in these moments and these days that we're experiencing, God is with us, weeping over our nation, weeping over the brokenness that we're experiencing. Jesus weeping here shows his true care and his love for us. Understand, God never takes our pain lightly. When we hurt, he hurts. He doesn't want to see us go through pain. He allows it oftentimes because he knows what's going to happen. But God weeps. And here Jesus is weeping. And I believe that when his tears started rolling, that they saw something. And I believe it changed the environment that they were in in a moment. Because Jesus now is on their level of hurting with them. He has become one of them. He went from being like the teacher to being the friend. Because what they were looking for was not in that moment an answer or some profound statement or some profound opinion. What they were looking for was some empathy. Can you just hurt with us and understand? Because when you hurt with somebody, doesn't it open up more about what they're going through? Like, if we just take what we're currently going through in the world and stop making bold statements based off opinions and our desires and just have empathy for everybody that's around us and just listen, just listen to suffer with people, to hurt with people and understand where they're coming from. Because when we understand where they're coming from, the Holy Spirit will begin to move in our lives and give us words to speak when we don't know what to say. So here we are. Jesus is weeping alongside of his creation. And in verse 36, it says, The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. And Jesus is crying, and they know you, he's got a personal relationship here. But some said the man, because there's always going to be naysayers and critics. He says, This man healed a blind man, but couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? If he's so good, where's all his power? And Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled in the entrance. I can't help but imagine if Jesus was just thinking when he saw that stone, it just reminded him that his days were coming when he was going to too be behind a stone. But the same thing was going to happen. He was, I believe he was just given a little foretaste 
of what was to come in the days ahead. And it says that Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb in a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone away, Jesus said. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. She said, Lord, he has been in the grave for four days. Listen to her next line, because this is her problem. He's been in the grave for four days. The smell is going to be terrible. That's what she was worried about. Like we're going to have people gagging all over the place. It's going to be like a dirty dike. We don't want to deal with this. It's going to smell. It's, it's, what was she saying? This thing's too far gone at this point. But Jesus responded, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? Isn't it funny, in one moment we believe, but when it's time to put our faith into action, we start to question things a little bit. Are you sure, God? And then we always hear these words. I, I don't know about you, but in my prayer life, I hear God saying, didn't I tell you? Didn't, as parents, you tell your kids not to do something, they end up crying, skin knees, and you're like, didn't I tell you? Jesus says, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone away. And when Jesus looked up to heaven and said, listen to this prayer. Jesus said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people. They don't believe I've said it out loud so they can know that I'm talking to you because what they're about to witness is going to be amazing. And they need to know that the only reason it happened is because of you. And they need to glorify you and not the miracle itself. He says, so you always hear me, I said out loud for the sake of these people, so that they will believe that you sent me. Jesus allowed Lazarus to die so that he could go do the miracle that it was going to take for people to know that this is truly the Messiah. He was breaking down some religious understanding for people. Because empathy begins with listening deeply to God and listening deeply to other people. Hearing. Hearing from the Spirit, hearing from God, hearing other people. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. What a great t-shirt. <laughs> what a great Facebook status. You can put that on your Facebook status today and then put your name out beside it as if you said it. It's totally fine. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Because it's so easy for us to jump to the point that we want to make to help get our point across rather than being understood. Rather than understanding where other people are coming from. It, it can easily be un, uh, unintended miscommunication. But notice throughout the scripture the dialogue that Jesus is having with Mary and Martha. He is listening to them. He is hearing them. He is processing what they're saying. He's not just throwing scripture out there. He's listening intently. Because here's my thing. If we would just let the Holy Spirit speak through us, the Holy Spirit can do more with half a syllable than we can do with a full paragraph of what we need to say. And so he's listening. He's weeping with them. But soon he's going to be rejoicing with them. In verse 33, 43, it says, And Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes. His face was wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Why did Jesus have to tell them that? Because I believe the people were standing there going, is that Lazarus? Like, wasn't he dead behind the grave? Hadn't he been in there for four days? They just, they just and then the Bible kind of like skims over this. They had never seen this happen. They're in a state of shock. 
Well, is anybody going to go and wrap him? Is anybody going to get all this off so that he can talk? Because he can't even say thank you right now because you, you got his face all wrapped up. Understand, Jesus goes down to the tomb. He could have literally walked in the tomb and carried Lazarus out of the tomb. But he said, for the benefit of these people, Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Calls him out of the mess. And he's standing there and there's silence. As he yells out Lazarus, the people are watching and there's no movement, there's no sound, there's no rattling happening behind the tomb. Because there's a part of faith that when you start moving, you have to stand up in the face of screaming silence sometimes. Now, I know God told me to do it, and I don't hear him speaking, so I'm going to stay still and continue to listen. So nobody hears anything, then all of a sudden you hear the ruckus happening in the tomb, and out comes Lazarus wrapped in the clothes that they put him in the tomb. They knew he was dead. They knew this. There was also a fear that they couldn't touch him because you're not, in, in this Jewish culture, if you touch something that was dead, then it was unclean, and their, their whole theological views on everything were being like rattled right now. Because they didn't know what to do. And so, I'm sure that people that were standing around the tomb thought Jesus lost his mind until this happened. And then they were like, well, this is interesting. This, maybe there's something more to this guy than just being a teacher. Maybe, maybe he is the Messiah. See, on this day, Jesus did what he did best, and that is making the dead live again. That's resurrecting. Even in raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus was showing empathy. He was with his people. Author Brene Brown gives us great example of empathy and sympathy. She did a TED Talk, and in this TED Talk, she asked listeners to imagine being stuck in a dark pit with no way out. So there are people stuck in a dark pit with no one out. No way out. She said a sympathetic person would look down in the pit. They would flash a heartfelt expression of pity and say, Wow, I am so sorry that you're in that pit. Good luck. And would walk away. And in contrast, an empathetic person sees you in the pit, and then they come down in the pit with you so you don't have to be alone. Empathy is therefore greater than sympathy because it moves beyond feeling to action. It's a choice to share in the pain of another, and that choice always comes at a cost. You see, Jesus is the perfect example of what true empathy really is. Because apart from Jesus, you and I are only in the pit of sin. We're, we're in the pit of sin by ourselves. We're, there's no way out. But Jesus had empathy. He had empathy. Because what Jesus did was he came into that pit with us. Jesus doesn't look down from heaven on our brokenness and say, ooh, I'm going to pray for you. Good luck. No, Jesus stepped out of his place in heaven to be with us in our pit where he continues to be with us today because he's omnipresent. Jesus took on human form and experienced every test, every type of sorrow, every type of hurt, every type of pain that you and I would encounter. Jesus encountered it. Jesus came into the pit with us. Somebody better amen that. Amen. 
Because Jesus came in the pit with us. Had he not, we would continuously be in this pit of sin, powerless to do anything to get out because we were dead in our trespasses. But Jesus left the throne of heaven to get down in the pit to bring new life into us so that he could be glorified. Not me. To say, look, I got out of the pit. I'm breathing, I'm alive. But to say, I got out of the pit because Jesus breathed new life into me, and that man needs to be talked about. That man needs to be praised. So Jesus came into our pit. I'm going to close with this verse. I love it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Did you get that? You and I have a high priest who can empathize with us because he has experienced the things that we have experienced in a human form. In every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. When, when the writer of Hebrews is writing this, he emphasizes that Jesus can empathize with our weakness. And when we understand that Jesus can empathize with our weakness, he goes on to write verse 16, because 16 doesn't make any sense unless you understand verse 15. Because in verse 16 he says, Let us then, understanding that he can empathize with us, let us then approach God's throne of grace and confidence. We can go before the throne of God with grace that he's not going to be casting all these judgments and picking us apart. But we can go to his throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus understands what we feel because he chose to be fully man. But however, he's fully man, but he's also fully God. We call this the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union is this mysterious joining of the divine and the human in the person of Jesus. Because of this hypostatic union, Jesus is therefore able to empathize with sinful man yet remain sinless and holy. That's what sets him apart. And it's by way of the cross that Jesus descended into the pit of sin to redeem you and me. His children, his empathy is why the writer of Hebrews can, he can proclaim this, to let us come boldly before the throne of a gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. Can I tell you something today? Jesus knew everything about you when he came to you. He knew every, He knew your secrets. He knew what happened years ago that you've been hiding and running away from in shame. He knew. He knows the things that you delete off your internet browser. He knows. He knows the improper thoughts that you had towards somebody else. He knows the anger issues that you struggle with. And yet Jesus still came to you. That's grace. Would you agree with me? That's grace. There's nothing about you that could ever be revealed that's going to surprise him. 
He's not going to one day wake up and go, ooh, I didn't know that. He knows everything about us, and He loves us anyway. He empathizes with us anyway. And He calls you and me to do the same thing. He's called us to do the same thing. What the world needs right now is love, but it also needs empathy. It needs people to call it what it is and suffer alongside of people. But why are we suffering alongside of people? That doesn't sound like fun. We suffer alongside of people so that God can be glorified. Because when people meet Jesus, things change. It it changes. Like when they really meet Jesus and start their relationship, things change. That's why we say at Together Church, we exist to introduce people to Jesus and together walk with them to help disciple them. Not to just, oh, you're saved, great, we're going to put it on a number chart, we're going to celebrate that in the social media. No, we walk with them and disciple them so they can become disciple makers because God's done something in their life that needs to get to other people's lives. Uh, as we close, I, I, don't, I don't know, like, I feel like sometimes we're just afraid of if God really told us what he thought about us, that we would be afraid what he had to say. Because we think that he would do this fire brimstone judgment thing. I used to think growing up that God was kind of like the, you know, the whack-a-mole games, the moles pop up and you hit them with the mallet. I used to think that God always had that mallet just ready to pop anytime I came up because if I didn't do it right, he was going to hit me. and I didn't say this right or I forgot to have a quiet time this morning or I was goofing off in church with my best friend Dustin on the back row and I saw this God being this legalistic God that was just looking to punish me with any move that I could make and I I remember taking everything that I knew and just thought this is who God is I need to be on the straight and narrow and there were some things in my life that I put behind a stone that were just dead. I just figured this is who God is. And this, I remember saying I didn't want to work in the church. Churches were boring. And other things I could do on the weekend. Get a second Saturday. You all know what second Saturday is? Sunday turns into Saturday. You get two Saturdays. It's awesome. Because this is who I thought God was. Until I picked this scripture up and I started reading for myself that Jesus was a God of empathy, he was a God of compassion, he was a God of grace, he was a God of anger so here's what I'm telling you this morning God sees you as his son and his daughter the Bible says that you are adopted you've been adopted, you're an heir of the king and all the rights and privileges that come along with that, we get that. We don't do anything to earn it. That is a gift that we get. We get his unconditional love, his unconditional grace. We get those things. And he loves us. For some of you, it's time to come out of the tomb this morning and let God be with you. Stop fighting life by yourself and let God do something in you. It's time to let him call you out of the grave that you've been hiding and waiting you broken? Absolutely. Can I just tell you something? We're all broken. Some of us just will admit that we're broken. Others, the Holy Spirit's still working on for that. 
but it's in our brokenness. Paul said, it's in our weakness that I have strength. Not have strength that I can do the things that I want to do, but I have strength to continue to push people towards Jesus and show them who he is. Because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. So as we close this morning, I just want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing probably one of my one of my favorites we're going to sing a song called Broken Vessels and um, feel the spirit about to move in the curtains again but we're going to we're going to sing Broken Vessels and it's just a song focusing on the grace of Jesus in the midst of our brokenness and how good he really is and so when we sing this morning sing it sing the lyrics or maybe you just need to stand and just hear them Maybe you need to read them, but interact with the song and see what the Holy Spirit wants to say and speak through you today. So, Father, we thank you for being a God of of empathy. We thank you for being one that is so gracious to us. In these moments, I just pray as as we sing and lift you up, God, that you would reveal things in our hearts that you want us to know, that we would walk out of this place reflecting you in a, a bigger, brighter way than we did when we came in today. So just move us in these moments, and we pray these things in your name.